everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Got a couple weeks here as we transition into the fall and prepare for this journey in the real Jesus, but uh, I thought I'd maybe kind of springboard off of last week's conversation as we, as we closed up our, um, our tour of the seven churches, our seven city tour, or uh, a letter from Patmos. We had all kinds of titles for it, but we talked about the Laodicean church, and we talked about how wealthy they were and how great their uh, medical program was, even an eye ointment that potentially brought healing to eyes, and, uh, and then they even had really cool... Uh, wool, black wool, and so they were, they were dressed real spiffy, and so they just were cool. They were cool uh, by worldly standards, but, but the Lord gave them a word, and he said this, Jesus, in this letter to the church there, he said, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, so though they looked like they had it all together on the outside, uh, spiritually, in their walk with the Lord, they were, they were wasting away. They were not in a good Place. And I thought this morning we could just take and, and try to look at the local church. And I'd like to go all the way back to its architect, its builder, Jesus, and, and build off of that four simple brief points on what this church is about and how we can avoid, uh, what did I, how did I term it, the, 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 the Laodicean drift, okay? How we can avoid looking like that church that was uh, spiritless, uh, was wasting away, was poor, blind, and, and naked, as Jesus said. Now, you know, we have, the church is a pretty big target, you know, because the church is so vast. Um, the, the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, speaks of one holy Catholic church. Small c, if you raise Catholic, not, not that stream, but small c being, or maybe a, a, a large c being, the worldwide church is what that means, and that that's been the, that's been what people have proclaimed, and um, these creeds that have been spoken for thousands of years in the church that we believe in Christ's church, uh, but because there's humans in it and humans leading it uh, or trying to lead under the direction of the, of the Lord, we often find that uh, uh, it's 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 full of humanity, and with that comes brokenness. And so you have unloving critics, and they they can take shots at the church, and it's a big target. And I always say. Too big a target. Anybody can hit a target. Even I could if I'm a, trying to be a, um, you know, a, 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 a trap shooter or, or a archer uh, because it's just such, it's like a, this, bigger than this wall. Anybody can stand here and hit, hit the target uh, because it's so large. But then, so you have unloving critics, but all you ha- also you have uncritical lovers. And have you ever, have you ever met the mother, kind of like my Aunt Jeanette when I was growing up? She had two daughters and a son. And Mark was always, he's my age, but he's twice the size of everybody in the room. And uh, his personality was big and uncontrolled when he was younger. He's, I can say this because, Mark, if you're listening, you've turned into an amazing man, full of the love of Christ, and you've raised three amazing sons. But you are not amazing, Mark, if you're listening. Uh, you are a terror, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, so, but it was so funny because when, when uh, Aunt Jeanette, who was the most gracious person. Uh, she's in the presence of the Lord today, but uh, she is the most amazing person. I mean, there was no guile in Aunt Jeanette. And she would just look at Mark and she'd go, oh, Marky, isn't he sweet? And the rest of us, you know, we'd pulled our hair out and we we're bloodied and bruised by Mark. He is a terror. He is a tornado is maybe a better word. And uh, she was an uncritical lover in the sense that she couldn't critique honestly 
because uh, she had rose-colored glasses. She had Mark-colored glasses. And the rest of us were going, please, wake up, Antoinette. You're the most amazing aunt in the world, but you're deceived, right? <laughs> and sometimes that can be the way we are. And let, let's just say something. Uh, I'm processing a lot of things. My, my faith is anchored in Jesus Christ, all right, as a pastor. I've been at this for almost 30 years in this location and eight or more years in a parachurch organization. So when I say 30, I'm going on almost 40 years of ministry in the church at some level and ministering to Christ's people. And I, I love his church, but sometimes uh, we, can, uh, we can just, uh, uh, we can get, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just numb to the reality that in the past we brought, the historical churches maybe brought hurt and pain, and it was never Christ's purpose. If you just look, look at his heart and you read his gospels, you, you realize that uh, we, we all miss the mark, even if we think we're, we found a local church where we just seem to be hitting the mark and the mission and the call of Christ. Um, his call, it seems to always be so much greater and so much bigger. So as the architect and builder of the church, what was Jesus' plan? Uh, do you ever remember when you were a kid going on field trips at school, normally they were for the purpose of something educational. Like, um, I remember once as a kid going to a dairy farm and seeing how we got our milk and our cheese. It was really cool when you see those commercial, it was a larger dairy farm, but even just the, the process. I also remember once going to the newspaper and seeing how we got our newspapers and how the big presses and, and seeing that kind of thing. So it was always fun to get out of school, get on the bus, and go to a field trip. But in school, normally, they were educational, right? Uh, you remember the one to six flags? I don't know what you learned there, but it was fun, right? It was absolutely great. Uh, one day, Jesus uh, told his disciples, I'm not sure he did this, but I'm just gonna pretend. He said, let's go on a field trip. And it was very educational. And he ventured outside of the ge geographical setting that he normally ministered in. He hung out in the Galilee and the towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee. You can see the Sea of Galilee today and you go to Israel and you can visit some of the ancient towns and sites and the tells where they've dug up stuff that may have been there. They even found a boat that they think they call it the Jesus boat. It was maybe around this time of Jesus. And, and then he went, he went up to Jerusalem, which was south, but it was a higher altitude elevation. And so, uh, he, but this time he went north of the Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. And he took his disciples there. And when he ventured into that region, in Matthew, Matthew gives us this, uh, this picture in this, uh, this text. He says, uh, he asks the question, who do, you, who do you say the Son of Man is? And their response was, or I should say, who do they say was his first question. They being the people, because he's been ministering now for several months and doing pr pr profound things, supernatural things, whether it was his teaching, his preaching, or his healing and, and, and opening blind eyes. It's just, I mean, what's the word on the street? And the word was, uh, we think you might be John, they think you might be John the Baptist, or they think you might be uh, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets. In other words, you're, you're the incarnate of something that is not normal around here. You're, you're, uh, you've got a super reputation. And then Jesus comes back and he says, uh, but who do you say that I am? Asking his 12 disciples. And everybody's quiet except the guy who's never quiet, and that's Peter. And Peter says, you're the Christ, which means Messiah, which is what they were waiting for. These are all Jewish followers, men, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. This was all something Jesus planned. And these guys, Peter speaks up and says, 
you're the one. You're the one we've been thinking about, praying for, dreaming of, writing about, you know, prophesying about uh, for centuries. And, and Jesus' response was this, and we see this here in, in chapter 16 of Matthew. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind uh, on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's just pray. Lord, we just ask you to lead and direct us as we conclude our time together this morning. And Lord, we thank you that um, there's something supernatural about your words. Uh, and we believe there's something supernatural about this thing that we call your word, the, the scriptures. And Holy Spirit, we know it. <laughs> what's critical is when you take and when you make it come alive in our lives and when you uh, create a fresh revelation or remind us of truth. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you point us to the greatest truth, the personification of truth, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us as we, as we, as we continue to focus on you today, and uh, we dedicate these moments to you, Jesus, as always. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I've got a cough drop in my mouth. That's why my, I'm doing funny things up here, okay? Um, first thing I think we need to see here is there's a foundation that, that Jesus is giving us, okay? And the foundation you can see there in verse 18. I tell you, he says this to Peter, and there's so much we could take. We could turn this into a three-part sermon series, but I just, I just, this morning I want to show you what the church should look like, Okay? First of all, it's the foundation on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, the underworld, spiritual authority, that which is the dark side. You know, there is a dark side in this world. There's a light side, the Holy Spirit, the living God, the three persons, the Trinity. But there, are dark, there is darkness and there are demons. And I believe that's what Jesus was referring to outside of that, that earthen mountainside there at Caesarea, possibly Philippi, where supposedly it was the entrance to the underworld. That was the, that was the, uh, the myth or the legend or whatever. But here, here we see it. Jesus is saying, I will, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, uh, one of our great churches in history or uh, in tradition would say that Peter was the first pope and Jesus was saying, hey, Peter or Petra or rock upon this rock, I'm going to build it. And so he was the first leader of the church. He was a leader of the church, but I don't believe that that, I, along with many, many scholars throughout history, we've looked at this a little differently, and we believe it's not uh, upon the person, but upon uh, uh, Peter, but upon the Lord Jesus that the foundation is on, or maybe the confession of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the promised one. And so you see this here, the foundation is the rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say that it was on Peter's church or a deacon's church or a preacher's church. He didn't say he would establish the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Mennonite church or the Catholic church. He said, I will build 
my church. He didn't have a specific denomination in mind. He had a people called out, which we'll unpack here again in a moment. Uh, the glory of the church is not that it is labeled with some denominational name, or as my Filipino friend said, damnational name, and he got away with it. I can't say that in church, okay? The glory of the church is not that it has a certain preacher in its pulpit or certain affluent people in its membership. The glory of the church is not that it is good or ever that it is good enough because it's filled with people who are broken. And if we're doing things right, we're filled with more and more people who are broken because I almost honestly believe the church, the congregation, the community of Christ followers looks more like an emergency room than it does a, a well-fortified frontline, you know, strategic battalion of some sort. It's, it's people just coming and experiencing the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The glory of the church is that it is Christ's church. He's the foundation upon which the church is built, okay? That's the first thing that we take, you know? And I'm not sure the Laodicean church knew that or remembered that. Maybe they'd forgotten it. They'd probably heard it. First Corinthians chapter three says this concerning foundations. By Paul's writing there to that church in, in, in Corinth, and he says, uh, by the grace of God, or by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, I don't know, are you seeing that Paul's saying here, the Lord Jesus laid this foundation, he birthed this worldwide movement, it was a little more contained at this point. And Paul and the other apostles and those who followed him, the, you know, the, uh, the apostolic fathers, that next generation of people that we can still read from that aren't, aren't in our Bibles necessarily, they were just kind of building upon the foundation. And the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I mean, come on, we could unpack that for hours. What does it mean to build upon that foundation? It means the building takes the shape of that foundation, and it's, it, it, it's stabilized by that foundation, and we understand that foundation is a person, not raw materials, right? Not stone, or as we discovered when we took a, a mission, work mission trip to Alaska, and they, they built all their log homes on um, three by 10 timbers instead of laying a cement foundation, and so 40 years later, we're jacking up the log homes and taking out the rotted boards and putting new boards in. <laughs> um, the foundation is pretty important. And the foundation that we have in the church is rock solid because it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the pronouncement that he is the answer for the world. So uh, that's that foundation. Also, you can see function taking place here. Uh, in, in verse 19, the first part says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys here represent authority, okay? Now, that's kind of a scary word, but let's, let's see where that goes. Jesus gave to the church his authority and left her, left us with the responsibility to carry out his work. And all of us began to say, whoa, that's a heavy responsibility. I like how the scriptures here, just a, a, a verse in, in and around this area, it's saying, uh, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell, the gates... Uh, in, in the ancient world, the gates is where those in authority would gather to, to legislate, communicate, uh, dictate direction. And so the gate of a city is where the very important people, the rulers, the leaders would gather and they would, uh, and they would uh, 
they would plan and strategize. And Jesus, I believe, is saying uh, hell's authority structure and that the structure and the leadership of darkness. And we see as Paul unpacks that in his sixth chapter, uh, in, his, in his letter to the Ephesians, we call it the sixth chapter, it's been broken down, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers in high places. So Jesus was dealing with the dynamic, dynamic, demonic, I know how to say it, it's just gonna take me a little while. He was dealing with the demonic in his day. He was casting the demons out of those who were troubled and broken, and he was telling, uh, telling Satan to get behind him when he was being tempted in the wilderness. And, and that was the understanding. It's the understanding that there is darkness in the world. What do you think causes somebody to go into a place of innocence and bring slaughter? That's just not a bad day in somebody's life. I am convinced that that is a level of darkness that we can't necessarily fix. We probably need to be on our knees praying as a nation and praying for safety and praying that that darkness is, uh, is dealt with before it's unleashed. Uh, but this is, this is something, this whole function is powers of darkness will not prevail against this church and the function of the church. I gave you just some, some, some words here, if you're taking notes. Uh, the message that, and this pulsates through the New Testament uh, and how the church is being defined. We are the mind through which Christ thinks. The church is the heart through which Christ loves. The church is the voice through which Christ speaks. The church is the hands, or the hands through which Christ brings help and healing and wholeness. And, and the church is the body of believers through whom Christ works. And we'll, we'll touch on that just here in a minute, a little bit more. I like, I like this kind of a scary commission that Mark gives us, and you'll see why, because there's been some denominations that have, that have um, arisen in some back backwater regions of our country or maybe the world. But look at this commission of, of Mark and what's gonna happen as Christ ascended and he, and he gave authority to his church. He says this in chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation and, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues, be gifted to the Holy Spirit. They will pick up snakes, this is a scary one, with their hands. And when, they don't, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all, and they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now, FYI, don't grab one of these phrases and try to build a, a movement out of it, okay? And don't become a... I, I had a neighbor here when we were doing a building project years ago, and they heard that we were kind of believed in the gifts of the Spirit, and whether we had kind of a Pentecostal persuasion or charismatic. They go, oh, do you handle snakes? I said, no, not, not if we can help it. She, she was pretty excited. She thought, that might be something cool to see. No, we don't. But you know what? I believe, I believe what Jesus is saying here. Anything that is bigger than us, deadlier than, than we can imagine, will not harm us we're in the flow, when we're functioning in the flow of God's plan for his kingdom and as we just are, 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 uh, are channels of that beautiful kingdom through our lives and through our love. We, we don't, and, and I that's why we believe in praying. And today, as we conclude service, uh, I, I need to talk more about this. We, we don't just meet under the, you know, during the last worship song underneath the balcony there, um, you know, to, you know, because, it, you know, it's just a, 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 a rote type of a process. But we really believe that as we agree together in prayer, 
as we lay hands on you or join hands with you, that the Lord could bring this day your breakthrough. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's financial, maybe it's physical. Uh, we believe that we can lay hands on sick people and they will be healed. Are they all healed? No. But that doesn't stop us from being obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. We believe in hospitals. We believe in doctors. Played golf with my brother Paul yesterday. He's an orth orthopedic surgeon, and I was going to ask him to fix my knee during the game, but uh, he, he didn't bring his tools. Uh, uh, but we thank God for those who, who, who are there in hospitals, but there are places and times in our lives where uh, a doctor just won't do, a psychologist won't do. We can't get there soon enough, and, uh, and, but the church is there and around people, and don't be surprised. God still moves today. He still transforms lives, and I'll bet you if we took a poll, those who've been encountered the supernatural power of Christ in your lives we, 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 could, we could go on for a couple hours just sharing testimonies of how we have encountered the Lord Jesus Christ and his power in our lives. So we must not be muted. I wasn't planning on saying that, but that just jumps out at me, not the snakes. We will not bring snakes in here, I promise you. But we will pray for you and we will join hands with you. Sometimes lay a hand on your shoulder or anoint you with oil as, as the Apostle James it gave us some instruction there and what that represents. It's not the oil, it's what that, the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, the healing of Christ as we pray in Jesus' name for your wholeness, for your, for your deliverance. So uh, the body, uh, uh, well, that, that's pretty much it. I just, I just, I would only add this. The church in every generation has, has the responsibility to preach this gospel and to, to reach out to the lost and to bring hope and healing and strength. And, um, and this function has been given to nothing else or nobody else in the world except his church. I have a high view of the church. I have an honest view of the church. But you say, well, you're a pastor. You have to. No, there's, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of pastors that quit their jobs every year from what I understand. But... Uh, I'm not going to quit by God's grace. I believe in this thing which Christ breathed into existence and spoke into existence north of the Galilee in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And I believe it's as active and as profound and powerful today as it's ever been. Okay, here's another word. Um, fruitful, all right? Jesus was showing, and I believe, as you look at that verse there, he, he gave, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I, I really believe that, that, that this, this speaks of just freedom and emancipation and all kinds of things with the binding and the loosing as we pray in Christ's name that there's, there's, there's something going on on our behalf in the heavenlies as we join hands for the sake of the kingdom here on this, on, on this pace or in this place or in this space. Um, Think of the fruit that the early church produced as they, as they brought liberation uh, to the people who were bound in sin. And, and when, they, when they ushered in the kingdom of God, uh, in Acts chapter 2, 41 and 4, 4, look at these verses. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And... And in chapter 4, it says about 5,000 as the message was, was spoken. And, and what was it? It was because this was not only a message of, of, of God's plan 
He was crucified, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the, from the grave, and he's here to, to transform your lives as you surrender to him. They didn't say it that way, but essentially that's what was being preached. Faith in Christ alone, and they were baptized, and they came into the community of faith, and a great church grew out of, out of that Jerusalem church, of course. Uh, fruitfulness. He gave the keys to the church so that it might liberate the broken. And those who are, when you think of liberation, you think those who are enchained. And uh, whether it's literal chains or mostly we're talking about, you know, uh, these, these emotional chains, these physical chains, these spiritual chains. And, and uh, the church is for the purpose of bringing liberation and fruitfulness. And throughout, throughout history, the church has produced fruit. And to this day, everywhere we look, there's fruitfulness. I get the joy of meeting with pastors, and we met this last week, and I went to a church that I didn't even know existed. Fish hat, um, uh, what is that, uh, that suburb out there? Fish Hatchery Road goes in there. It's Fitchburg. Fitchburg. Yep. So Fitchburg, a, a, couple of, a couple of years ago, there were churches shutting down, and I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, instead of shutting down, now there's two or three or four churches being planted strategically in and around that, that suburb, that, I don't know if call them bedroom communities or what we call them here. Madison's got so many inside the city and around the city. But it was so cool to be in one of those churches. And it was, it was so neat meeting the pastor. And I'd not met him before, but seeing where they, they took a furniture store and they've turned it into a, a beautiful worship center. And more than that, there's more space for meeting with children after school care and, and tutoring kids. And, and he said, there's a lot of flies in here. We had a, a prayer time and a lunch together. He said, and there were a lot of flies buzzing everywhere. He says, last night we had these doors open and 300 families or children and, and families came through these doors and we gave them shoes and we gave them uh, pencils and all kinds of resources for school. I think they network with the Verona School District in that area. They're being bused from that part of Madison, Fitchburg to Verona. And just people with needs, having their needs met. And it was so cool. And I just thought, man, this is, this is, this is neat. The church of, of, of Jesus Christ in our city, the body of Christ, the church is growing. And meeting some of these pastors and walking with these pastors and praying with these pastors. We meet once a a month, and there's 30 or 40 or 50 maybe on the list, and maybe 20 or so that will show up in any given month. Um, but it's, it, it's a delight to see <clears throat> what God is doing in our... Because the kingdom is advancing. And so, uh, throughout history, the church has produced fruit. And it's still about producing fruit. And we here at this church are about producing fruit. Not for numbers' sake, but for the sake of lives, individual lives being touched and, and, and encouraged and healed. The final point, <clears throat> have you noticed they're all Fs? <clears throat> it's fellowship. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, some say the rock of your confession, again, some churches upon you, Peter, but we believe it's upon the authority of Jesus Christ and the confession of who he is. I will build my church now. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the first point place we see church, but that's probably not the best interpretation or um, rendering of the Greek word ekklesia. That Greek word is, uh, is, 
an ancient word used to describe political gatherings, uh, the assembly of full citizens. Listen to this. It always referred to an actual assembly or gathering of people. So you weren't an ecclesia if you were kind of like um, a society, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm a part of a society. No, that wouldn't have been an ecclesia. An ecclesia was only when people that were called out and a part of that definition gathered together. Are you hearing that? Okay, so that's, that's maybe the problem with the, the two points in the, in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. It almost sounds a, a little mis, too mystical. You know, I believe in one holy Catholic church. Do, 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 do. You know, cue up uh, Star Trek entry there. Da, 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 da. All right. I believe in one. You know, it's just, oh, man, that's so ethereal, so spiritual, so whoo. But the fact is, that's not the church. The church, apart from being a part of a distinctive, called-out congregation in a location, is not the church. Now, we are, of course, a part of a worldwide movement, but without the geographical, specific congregational gatherings, the ecclesia, we aren't the church. Christ's church is not Christ's church unless Christ's church is together proclaiming and celebrating Christ's church. The ecclesia, it has to be a called out group of people coming together, otherwise it's not ecclesia, it's not church. This is the word Jesus used. And I believe he did it strategically. In fact, a, probably a better rendering was congregation. And I think there were some in the Protestant Reformation, you know, four or five, 500 years ago, that wanted that but when the English renderings were coming forth, the Germans won out. I think it was a, somebody from Scotland, if I remember my church history, I used, come on, let's, let's call it what it, the better rendering, congregation. But uh, Martin Luther, they, the Kirche, somehow they got church out of that. And uh, so, but when you think of church, what do you think of? You think of, where's Ridgeway Church? It's all over the city. It's all over the cities. Real people would say, well, it's at 3245 East Washington Avenue. It's stoned. You got Tennessee stone on the outside and some ephus on the new addition and some split-faced block, you know. And No, that's, that's the problem with that rendering is it's become a, a geographical structure, a structure in a geographical location versus a people who meet faithfully to listen to the Lord, to receive from the Lord to share the Lord together, the fellowship. I will build my congregation. I will build my uh, community. So, yeah, I thought I ran out of notes. You guys are going, oh, that's great. Get to leave a little early. Uh, uh, but I just, I have another scripture to share, and I want to share a little something here that I've, I came across years ago that a friend of mine put in a book that he recently wrote. But when the fruit of, of redemption was produced in the first century, when people came to the Lord, they gathered together, and, and it was a very profound way. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47. Every day, check this out, they would meet together in the temple courts, and maybe that's the larger group. Then they broke bread in their homes and ate uh, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their numbers daily, those who were being saved. I think 
the reason why there was such great growth, exponential growth, is because they were, they were practicing ecclesia, a community of called out ones, whether it's in a public gathering, maybe in the temple courts where they'd have more space, and then they'd break that down. That's why we really encourage small groups, because this isn't sufficient. There needs to be a place where we can get real, share some food together and some coffee and share our burdens, you know. Some of us are too shy to go back underneath and unless we're really desperate, you know, for prayer at the close of service. I always say, what's he talking, go underneath. Uh, uh, one day, uh, that'll all be changed. One day you'll be able to come forward for prayer and we'll just pray here, but we have to add an addition because we don't know where we come in and where we go out here. We're really a confused church. But, you know, that's, that's, that's what we see here is this, this idea of, of, of coming together, the sharing bread, sharing lives, and there's something supernatural in it. We can, I believe we even see that in how the numbers were, were, were grown, and there's such great growth in the church. Uh, Philip Yancey uh, wrote something years ago, and it's just an op-ed for a magazine, and Yancey's a kind of philosopher. Uh, if you ever read one of his books, it's like you've read a three dozen books, because he's He's, he's kind of a journalist, philosopher, theologian. But he said this. And I, I, the, the, the title of this, um, of this op-ed, this thing that he sent in, I think it was to one of the uh, Christian magazines, was um, why I don't go to a megachurch. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with megachurches. I think successful large churches are those that have found ways to get small. Uh, and so, but, but this was his testimony of what happened if he would go to a, a large, large church. He says, I resist the trend towards megachurches, preferring smaller places out of the spotlight. I never understood why until I came across the paradoxical observation in G.K. Chesterton's Heretics. The man who lives in a small commu community lives in a much larger world. The reason is obvious. In a large community, we can choose our companions. In a small community, our companions are chosen for us. Precisely. Given a choice, he says, I tend to hang out with folks like me. People who have college degrees, drink only Starbucks dark roast coffee, listen to classical music, and buy their cars based on EPA gas mileage ratings. Yet, after a short while, I get bored with people like me. Smaller groups and smaller churches, that's, again, the beauty of, of our small groups and connect groups, uh, and smaller, force me to rub shoulders with everybody else. And Henry Nouwen, uh, let's stand with me too. I invite the worship team to come. Uh, Henry Nouwen has a paragraph that just dovetails on this. He, he defines community as the place where the person you least want to live, live with, always lives. I say that again. He, he defines community. I would say he defines congregation even. Ecclesia, people called out Christ as a place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. Amen. Jesus is forming a community in us, throughout our city, throughout our nation, the nations of the world, and aren't you excited to be a part of it? I'm excited that you're a part of it. And if you're not a part of it or 
an expression of it. We sure hope you find a place where you can, you know, rest and put your roots, sink your roots deep and, and find nourishment that, that Christ gives us in community. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.